From the very beginning, Jesus um, promised his promise that his followers uh, would suffer. Severe persecution, even martyrdom. Uh, for example, in his first recorded sermon, Jesus said, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. Later, when Jesus sent out the disciples, he said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Really? Beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts, scourge you in the synagogues. You will, be, you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony. A brother will betray brother to death. A father his child. Ch children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of me. Farewell discourse, which actually happened between last week's text and this morning's text. John chapter 15, Jesus reminded them again, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. Remember, slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Starting to get the dark picture, the world will hate and persecute followers of Jesus. Later, the apostles themselves remind us of that truth. Paul in Philippians chapter 1, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, granted, it's like it's a gift, not only to believe in Him but also to suffer for His sake. Peter, in his first letter, said, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. We're starting to get the picture. The New Testament promises persecution for followers of Jesus. And while we live in this anomaly called the United States, meaning we have lived in relative comfort and ease, the church has experienced persecution through its, its history. I mean, we know the stories, don't we? I could tell you them by the, by the hundreds. Let, let me tell you one. The story of Ignatius, bishop of Antioch, who was martyred in 107 A.D., which made him a contemporary of the 12th. Persecution was again at its height in the Roman Empire. Ignatius was arrested and condemned to die by the local Roman authorities. But, but, but since there was some great festival uh, being planned in Rome because of a recent military victory, Ignatius was sent there. It was thought that his death would help amuse the people. Apparently on his way, Ignatius heard there was a group of Christians in Rome who were considering a rescue, freeing him from martyrdom. Ignatius did not like that at all. He was ready to seal his witness with his own blood. So he, so he wrote a letter saying it was his purpose to be an imitator of the passion of Christ. It is then he believed through this sacrifice, he begins to truly be a disciple. 
And so he asked them not, not to free him nor to pray for his release, but rather pray that he would have the strength to face the trial. He wrote in the letter, so that I may not only be called a Christian, but also behave as such. I no longer savor corruptible food, but wish to taste the bread of God, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ. And His blood I wish to drink, which is an immortal drink. When I suffer, I shall be free in Jesus Christ, and with Him shall rise again in freedom. I am God's wheat to be ground by the teeth of the beasts, so that I may be offered as pure bread to Christ. Now, now we may question His pursuit of martyrdom, but never His faith. Ignatius received his wish to die a martyr's death shortly after arriving in Rome. He was thrown to the wild beasts. As he prepared to die, he said, may the wild beasts be eager to rush upon me. If they be unwilling, I will compel them. Come, crowds of wild beasts. Come, tearings and manglings, racking of bones and hacking of limbs. Come, cruel tortures of the devil. Only let me attain to Christ. Crazy? At some point, almost every believer has asked the question, do I have what it takes to be faithful? If faced with a life or death situation, would I deny Christ? We hope we'd have the, the moxie to, to stand firm, to claim Christ, to, to remain courageous, courageously faithful. Well, remembering that Jesus said, I am, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Sheep is a favorite analogy in Scripture for followers of Christ. And now at first glance, the picture that comes to mind is a, is a wolf coming into a flock of sheep and, and picking one off. And that indeed is the picture in Acts chapter 20. But, but that's not what Jesus says here. The idea is that of a sheep being sent into a pack of wolves. Hey, where do I sign up? Think about it. As you said yes to Jesus, he says to you, you're like a sheep going out into a pack of wolves. That's encouraging, is it not? Do you think you have what it takes? I'm, I'm going to get eaten alive. I'm going to die. It's natural for a wolf to creep into a flock of sheep and pick one, up, uh, pick one off. It is not natural. It is unnatural for a sheep to go into a pack of wolves. And it is not normal for a good shepherd to send sheep into the pack, it would be a feeding frenzy. As you may know, sheep are perhaps the most dependent, helpless, and stupid of all domesticated animals. The sheep has to watch, I mean, the shepherd has to watch them to make sure that they don't eat poisonous weeds. They've been known when flies buzz around their heads to get so scared that they hit their heads against a beat their heads against a tree and kill themselves. When the real danger comes, wolves or, or lions, sheep are completely helpless. About the only thing that they can do is run, and they are not built for speed. Fat body, toothpick legs. They're not going anywhere. They, they don't fight. They don't bite. And even if they did, no one would care. We, which brings us to this truth. Listen, the only hope sheep have is a good shepherd. But what happens if the shepherd goes down? I shared this with you once before. Almost every animal we have domesticated can be seen in the wild and can be dangerous. Most of us have pet dogs or 
cats, I don't know why, and, and have, <laughs> I can't even hardly say it, and, 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 and we've heard of wild packs of dogs or stray cats that can be annoying, can even be a problem. Wild horses, for example, can be dangerous, difficult to break. They can bite, kick, stampede. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of wild sheep? Wild sheep on the loose. <laughs> even if you run into a pack of wild sheep, who'd care? Sheep couldn't survive in the wild. The only way they can survive if they, is if they have a shepherd to lead them, care for them, feed them, and protect them. These poor, defenseless, weak, spineless, helpless sheep, Jesus sends to the wolves. Why would he do that? Doesn't he care? Quite the opposite. You see, poor, helpless, defenseless sheep must be dependent. They must stay close to the shepherd. This is the consistent message uh, in the gospel narratives. He is our only source of strength and help and protection and nourishment. He is indeed our only source of life. Without the shepherd, we die. And even with the shepherd... Paul said it this way, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, principalities, things present, things to come, powers, height, nor depth, nor any other created things will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You, you, you cannot separate us from the love of the shepherd. And so we cling on to, for dear life, or better said, he holds on to us. We are in the final days, indeed the final hours of Jesus' life, and as he gets ready to go, I I believe he wants to remind them of this rather significant truth. It's found in our text today, Mark 14, verses 26 to 31 says this, and after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. Because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. (laughs) Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And, and, And Jesus said to him, Peter, truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. What do you do with that? Do I have what it takes? Obviously not. 
Peter kept insisting that he did. Even if I, I, I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they were all saying the same thing also. What, what happens to the sheep when you strike the shepherd? And, and false bravado will not do. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking uh, about preparation for the cross. This morning, Jesus is going to prepare His disciples for His cross and, frankly, their cross in the life that follows. He's going to impress upon them this truth. Listen very carefully. You cannot do it alone. You better hold on to me with everything you've got, and I will hold on to you. He gives them an object lesson they will never forget. Outline goes like this, and this is the end. Uh, I didn't say this last week, but this is the end of another of, of Mark's sandwiches. The, the outsides of the sandwich are first the prediction of the betrayal, and now the pre- prediction of the desertion. In the midst of that is the Lord's Supper and His faithfulness, even in the midst of all of that. See this prediction of scattering, Peter's boast of self-confidence, the prediction of denial, and then the disciples' boast as well. I'm going to approach this text a bit differently than you've probably heard it before. And not, not that what you've heard is wrong. No doubt you've heard preachers and teachers railing against the disciples, probably appropriate. But my hope is to leave uh, he, uh, for, is for you to leave here with a little different understanding and as a result, maybe leave a little smaller holding on to Jesus a little tighter. I'm simply going to tell you the story this morning and answer the question, do I, do I have what it takes? And the, at the outset, the answer is no and yes. Most of us are familiar with the story, and we know the way that it ends. They, they, they leave the upper room. They're on their way to Gethsemane, and in a couple of hours, the soldiers will arrive. Jesus will be arrested, and we will read these words in verse 50 of this chapter, and they all left him and fled. Do I have what it takes? By the time we get to the end of the chapter, we will read about Peter's denial not once but three times before the rooster crows. Again, most of us know the story, and in our heads, in our heads, we say, I'm sure given those circumstances that I would have fled too, but in our hearts, do we not think, but I hope not. I I hope I would have stood firm. I I, I hope I wouldn't have fled. I I hope I I have what it, it takes. Do you? Do you have what it takes to remain faithful, to not flee, to not deny? No, you don't. And yes. Let's look at the story. It's Thursday night, the night of His betrayal. In fact, Jesus has already prophesied that He would be betrayed by one of His own number. Judas, the betrayer, has, I think, has already left to do the deed. Jesus and the disciples have, have just finished the, the last Passover and the first Lord's Supper. They, they've sung the final hymn, the Hallel. They're making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, now John's gospel fills in a lot of detail 
recording for us what is called that farewell discourse, which he gives them after the supper that we looked at last week and, 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 bef- and before they leave the upper room, before this text. Jesus had a lot to say. He tells them he's going to prepare a place for them and promises to return. Ask anything in my name and I will, uh, I will do it. He gives them a new command, love one another. He commands them to, to remain faithful, that is to remain in him. He gives them peace, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled nor let it be fearful. He gives them the promise, you see, of the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send another helper who will be with you forever. He calls them friends. No longer do I call you slaves. I have called you friends. He, he ends by praying for them. Father, keep them, sanctify them by your truth. <laughs> Pretty much the farewell discourse has been this upbeat, positive message of hope. It's almost been like a pep talk. They're feeling pretty good, affirmed, positive about things. Not sure what Jesus is talking about, this body and, and blood stuff, but things are looking pretty good now. We, we come out of that, which Mark, by the way, skips, and we proceed right to the prediction of their scattering. You will all fall away. <laughs> Do you remember what you just said to us? Because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. It would have hit the disciples like a blow. We can face anything, they think. And then he hits them with this truth. Earlier, he had prophesied that one of them would betray them. Each one of them denied it. Surely not I. Now he tells them, not one of you, but all of you will fall away. Scandalizo, you'll be scandalized. You will fall because of me. How did Jesus know? Well, besides the fact that he was omniscient, besides the fact, don't forget this, that the Father was orchestrating the events foreordained from the beginning of time, he, he knew because of an obscure prophecy found in Zechariah chapter 13. It is written, you see, there's no way to avoid this. There, Zechariah spoke of a time when Israel would be spiritually cleansed when false prophets would, be, would cease their, uh, their wicked prophesying. He says a remnant of Israel would be redeemed. And in the midst of that, we read these words, Awake, O sword. This is God speaking. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man, my associate, declares the Lord. O host, strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered, and I will turn my hand against these little ones. The Jews understood this somehow to be a messianic prophecy. They just didn't know what it meant. Here, Jesus explains it. He says, the, the passage spoke of him. I'm the Messiah. And then that God, with his own sword, would strike my shepherd, my associate, which in the Hebrew speaks of one his equal. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep, that is Israel, and the Zechariah passage will be scattered when Jesus applies it, the passage to himself as the Messiah, the shepherd, God's associate, one his equal. He applies it to his own disciples. Jesus says, when the shepherd, when God's sword strikes me, the sheep will scatter. Most of the time we come to this passage with thoughts like these. The disciples fled when Jesus needed them most, and, and that's true, they did. The disciples once again woefully failed Jesus, and that's true. They, dis, they deserted the Christ at the time of his greatest need, and that's, and that's true. And in our minds, we think, I probably would have fled too, but again, in our hearts, we think, I, I hope not. I hope I have what it takes. 
Can I suggest that there is a significant object lesson that Jesus is teaching his disciples, his disciples both then and now sitting in this room? Here it is. Without the shepherd, we're in big trouble. Of course they scattered. When the shepherd was struck, not only was that a fulfillment of prophecy, that is what sheep do. They can do nothing else. Remember earlier in his ministry, as Jesus looked out at the crowd in the fields, and he had compassion on them. Why? Because they, they were distressed and dispirited. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And sheep without a shepherd, that's a problem. I came across one author who suggested that when the disciples, uh, uh, that what the disciples did should not be considered sin. That is, they did what sheep do when left alone. Now, I don't think I would go that far. Their desertion in his time of greatest need was most terrible. But I do agree with him without a shepherd, sheep scatter. And Jesus wants to drive that truth home, which is why right before this, in the farewell discourse, he said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. If the shepherd is gone, we're in trouble, which is, which is why he promised after he left that he was going to send another comforter, a counselor, the Holy Spirit, to come alongside them, to live in them, to empower them to be faithful. Did, did they have what it takes? Not then. Can I remind you that at this point the Holy Spirit had not come? Their only response, empowered by the flesh, was to scatter they didn't have the ability to do anything else. They fled because they did not have what it takes to remain faithful. And yet, you would not have either. You, you can stop asking yourself the question, would I? You would have. As Jesus predicts their betrayal, their desertion, he also gives them a ray of hope. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of who? I will get a, go ahead of you to Galilee. Do you see what he's saying? He says, listen, guys, the shepherd is going down, and there is a sense in which when I go down, so will you. You'll be scattered. But know this, I'm not staying down. After I have been raised... He tells them again, although they miss it, he is going to be raised from the dead, and in some sense, so will you. And I will meet you in Galilee after you've been regathered from your scattering. We will eventually get to Mark 16, verse 7, which reads, after the resurrection, go tell his disciples and Peter, the one who bragged. And Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, <laughs> just as he told you right here. No. The disciples didn't get it. Their egos were bruised. <laughs> okay, Jesus, we understand. We'll scatter because we don't have what it takes when we lose the shepherd. Then you'll call us back. No, that is not what they said. They didn't get it. This is what they did what most people do when they, told, when they are told, listen carefully, when they are told that they are insufficient, incapable, empty, unable without Christ. 
They get bigger. <laughs> Don't tell me I can't. You can almost see them pounding their chests in self-confident arrogance. Look again at verse 25, or verse 29. But Peter, surprise, surprise, said to him, you're, you're wrong about this one, Jesus. Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. <laughs> Look at this group, Jesus. I agree with you. They're a miserable lot, but, but not me. If they all fall away, you can count on me. I have what it takes. I, I know what the prophet Zechariah says, and he's probably right about these losers, not me. He's wrong. I won't fall. You, you forget who you're talking to here, Jesus. I, I was there when you raised the little girl from the dead. I'm the, I'm the one who walked on water. I'm the one who called you the Christ first. I was there with the Mount of Transfiguration. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back, and I have the right stuff. I can do it. I will do it. I have what it takes. And he even looks to have what it takes a few verses later when he pulls a sword or a kitchen knife and, and cuts off Malchus's ear. And make no mistake about it, he was going for the head. He, he was trying to fight a spiritual battle with physical stuff. Remember, stopping the plan of the ages. His own abilities, competent swordsman that he was. He got big. For a little while, just like many of us do when faced with big problems. I will, I can, I won't. So, Peter, so Jesus says to Peter, you're, you're right, Peter, you're, you're made of different stuff than these guys. They're all going to be scattered, but truly I say to you this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you... You will deny me three times. You won't be scattered, Peter. You'll be shattered. It's probably about midnight. Roosters were known to crow at various times of the night, but especially at the end of the third watch for some reason, about 3 a.m., it became known as the rooster crow. In other words, Jesus is saying, in about three or four hours, Peter, you will deny me. Not once, three times. And, and we know the story. We'll look at it in a couple of weeks. He did. But the question is, what, what was the problem? He, he, he denied Jesus. Would you? I have decided to follow Jesus. Before we're too hard on Peter, let me remind you, he did not have what it takes. And by the way, Mark is the only one who records the, the rooster crowing twice. I mean, what is that about? Well, we remember that Peter is Mark's source. Mark is recording what Peter tells him, and he would remember what Jesus uh, said to him about his denials. He's the one that had the conversation with him. Well, what is this about the rooster crowing twice? The first time, I think, could have been a wake-up call. That's one, Peter. But Peter plunges ahead. You ever fail God more than once despite repeated warnings? Before we were too hard on Peter, I believe Jesus was giving the disciples and Peter and, frankly, us a very important lesson. Peter, I am going to use you in great ways in the church, but before I do, this business of I can, I will, I won't must go away. Because you can't. This self-sufficient spirit must go. And in you, Peter, it's going to be particularly painful. But I'm going to do it because I love you. 
and I will use you. But it will not be you, it will be me. And so we roll the clock forward about 50 days from now. We find ourselves in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And on that day, we find Peter preaching a bold message to the very same people who had crucified Jesus, to the same people that he had cowered before on the night of his arrest. And we read, and he says these incredible things. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attests to you by God with miracles, wonders, signs, which God performed through you, through him in your midst. There's no denying it. You saw them just as you yourselves No, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. It was the sword of God that struck him. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. I will rise again and meet you in Galilee. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this same Jesus whom you crucified. What? I mean, this is the guy who denied Jesus in front of some servant girls. What's the difference? Peter now had what it took. He'd received the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. The the shepherd was back in the person of the Spirit of Christ. And the object lesson is complete. Without Christ and his enabling, uh, empowering Holy Spirit, we don't have what it takes to remain faithful. The the sheep will scatter. But with the promised Holy Spirit, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. Most assuredly, faithfulness to Christ is impossible without total dependence on Christ, but most possible with his presence. Do I have what it takes? No. And yes. There are two indispensable truths that we learn from this passage. One is our utter insufficiency, and the other is Christ's utter sufficiency. These truths are driven home. The shepherd went down, the sheep scattered. We need to be reminded of these truths every day. You walk out of the front door of your house without being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is surrendering to the control of the Spirit. You don't have what it takes. Are you tired of failing miserably? It's because you leave every morning thinking, I've got this. I can do this. No, you can't. It's not about what we can muster, not only to be saved, but to be sanctified, to be holy, to be faithful. We don't have what it takes in ourselves, but we have everything that we need through the shepherd. Some of you, I'm going to suggest, have gotten very big, just like Peter and the rest of his disciples. Even if I have to die for you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Some of you have been living the Christian life or trying to on your own, and you have been failing miserably, and it is time right now for you to get very small and to become a sheep again. The only way that you will be faithful is to get small and allow Christ's Spirit to do His supernatural work in and through you. And remember that Christ is your only hope. He is your only source of life. In a moment of the day where you can say, I've got this, you don't. 
You see, sometimes I'm not sure that we do this Christian thing rightly. What do I mean? Most of us would see a Peter, and we go, wow, look at that strength. Go. We'd applaud it. We'd encourage a Peter. We'd try to produce Peters. We'd preach messages. We'd teach. We'd go to youth camps, and then the call is to muster it up. We want to fill the front of the altars with people who say, I will, I can, I won't, I have decided to follow Jesus. I will choose Christ. I will live for him. Now, don't get me wrong. That's all fine. That's, all, that's a good heart. Peter had a good heart, a passionate heart. He just didn't get it. I would suggest gently that many of our calls to commitment are nothing less than calls to the flesh. I can, I will, I won't. Woven into the fabric of that truth of self-surrender needs to be self-denial, self-insufficiency, and God's sufficiency. Desperate dependence. I understand we need a balance. We don't need people running around here saying, I'm worthless, I can't do anything better, ask someone else. We need people who realize they, they, can't do anything. They, they, they can't do anything without Christ, but through Christ, who strengthens them, they can do anything. Paul understood that. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Let me close with this example. You remember the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was very big, very strong, big muscles. And the Israelites were in their tents quaking in fear. You know why? Because they compared their flesh to his flesh. Because they looked at their biceps and compared them to Goliath's biceps and thought, I can't. I'm staying right here in the tent. Along comes David, scrawny teenager. David takes one look at the situation. Big Goliath, men of Israel in their tents. He did not compare himself with Goliath. If he would have done that, he would have joined the the men of Israel in the tents. David was a scrawny kid who looked at God first, then he looked at Goliath and said, you're in big trouble, pal. You don't have a prayer. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. I have no strength in the flesh, but I have everything that I need because I walk with the shepherd. I would love for churches, youth camps, this church, frankly, to be full of people who come saying, not I can, but I cannot. God, you're going to have to do it if it's going to get done. And then we be people who leave saying, I can, because God will. Let's stand for prayer. Father, the the truth of this text grates against our arrogant self-pretensions, this idea that somehow we can do what we want, that we can muster up what we need to be faithful followers. And we demonstrate day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, that we are unable 
in the flesh to do anything. Apart from me, you can do no thing. Can't do it. So, Father, right now, would you make us small? And would you become big in our lives? Would you help us to cling more tightly to Christ, remembering that he will never let us go? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In his name we pray. Amen.